Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have us do something a little different. If you guys will stand with me for a brief second, I'm actually just going to jump in and read tonight's passage. And the reason we stand is just to show that Christ's... Uh, his word and the scriptures have authority in our lives, and we stand uh, to give reverence. Uh, so as we read this, uh, soak it in. This is uh, the story of Jesus calming the storm, and it's out of Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, and this is what it says. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right, you guys may have a seat. All right, so when I was uh, prepping for tonight and I knew I kind of had a standalone message, I, uh, I was just praying with the Lord and I was like, Lord, what do you want me to teach? And I, I can't explain this in, in, unless you've had like an experience like this where you just know God has been saying something to you. God has had this passage on my heart for whatever reason for like months now. And I've honestly just been waiting for a Tuesday to share it. And I felt like God was saying, tonight specifically, this night is the night that I want you to share this message. And so I typically know when things like that happen behind the scenes, I don't always share that with you. It typically means that I think God has a fresh word that he wants to give this whole community. And I really do think there's a fresh way in the timing of this message that some of you in the room literally need this message tonight. You don't need a good sermon from me. You just need a word from Jesus. And I really believe that there is something in this story. I, guys, I'm telling you, I've prepped a ton on this. This is such a familiar story, but I know God wants to say something to you. So I'm gonna say a lot of different things tonight. Literally, I have a, there's not like one streamlined point. I'm gonna be kind of saying a bunch of different things. It's gonna apply to our lives in a bunch of different ways, but I'm trusting that there is something for you in this from Jesus, okay? So typically, if you are, uh, have been around the church, or even if you're not, you've kind of heard the story of Jesus calming the sea. And uh, in my experience, this story is almost so familiar that it's almost lost its power and punch. It's like, we would never say it this way, but it's like, okay, I get it. He was on a sea. It got kind of crazy. He rebuked the winds. He rebuked their faith. And then that was it. All right, next story. You know, like it just kind of loses its power and punch. But if you are in this story, this story is literally incredible. And, 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 the, and what I think God is trying to say to it is actually incredible. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this story in different layers. We're going to kind of have like a general look at this story, like some big themes that God is saying. We're going to look at like some specific details in the story that I feel like are very interesting. And there's reasons these details are there. And then we're going to get kind of to like the main punch and the main purpose of this story. And then we're going to bear it on our lives. Sound good? Okay. So uh, let's Let's start. So uh, this story took place at the Sea of Galilee, and Harley, if you can throw up a picture, um, this is the Sea of Galilee. So this is in Israel, um, and the reason I show you this picture is because let's get out of like, this is a fictional story, and like Jesus with his 12 disciples, with boats, was literally on this lake or sea 2,000 years ago, and this is where Jesus spoke to the winds and the waves, and they became calm. It's a real place. It was in history. Jesus of Nazareth was a real 
Jewish man who had disciples and apprentices and he was teaching about the kingdom of God. And this story and this scene had something massive that he wanted to show his followers in this scene. And if you actually go to this place today, and I can't say this because I've actually not been there, but what I read about it is there's actually signs all throughout parts of the places where you can park. And they say you actually can't park here in certain areas because this specific sea is known for literally on the like on the dot, a whole storm can come in and it can get so crazy that there's certain like banks along this area that you actually can't park because it can get so chaotic. So this is already a place, already um, it has a reputation for having massive storms. And so when we just like look at this story, we look at it afresh, it, we can just acknowledge one thing for a second for all of us in the room. Life is a giant storm. You guys don't get that, do you? Can we all agree, Christian or not, life is a giant storm. Storms are part of life. One of the things I've learned is that literally no one escapes. Some people experience small storms, some people experience huge storms, but um, chaos, we know, can literally hit unexpectedly at any moment. Like one moment, everything is well in your life, and literally in the next moment, you know all can go to hell. All is well, and then all goes to hell. I remember... Um, I went to a family reunion like a year ago. It was probably about a year ago. We were having an incredible time with my family. It was the Casperson side, and one of my uncles from the Casperson side wasn't there. He married into the family. And I remember getting up one morning, and I like, it was like a beautiful morning. The weather was incredible. I was there with my wife. My daughter wasn't born yet. And, uh, and so we were there. Um, and I remember like talking to like my family at the cabin, like literally like across the way, and everybody like ignored me. I was like, hey guys, nobody turned around. I was like, guys, it's me. Like, hello, you know? And everybody just ignored me. And then all of a sudden they looked at me and there was like a death look in everybody's face. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And they're like, your uncle just committed suicide. And I was like, what? Isn't that like a picture of life? It's like everything is well. You're celebrating family, friends, and then death. And one of the things that I've realized about suffering is we all know it's coming in our life at some point, but it doesn't make it any easier when it actually comes. Like, we all know it's coming, and you can actually know what's going to happen to you, but when it actually happens, it's just as hard as if you didn't know about, about it. You know what I'm saying? So you guys know, some of you are in, in, right now, you're walking into this room today because of something you experienced today, or this week, or this last month, or last year, and you're experiencing storms. Maybe it's the death of a loved one, maybe it's the betrayal of a friend, maybe it's relationship struggles or friendship struggles, like you lost friends, now you feel lonely, maybe you just can't find a spouse, and that feels like a storm. Singleness just feels like a giant storm, you know? Maybe there's been transition or a loss of a job, and then that just threw you through a whirl, and now you're just kind of trying to evaluate, but Life just feels like a storm. But here's what I've realized. Christian or not, then you decide to follow Jesus, or if you're already following Jesus, you try to like really go in all Jesus, go in like all on Jesus, and then you start to realize that following Jesus just makes life harder. Like doesn't life just feel like, it just feels like it gets more stormy once you decide to follow Jesus, does it not? And you're like, why is this happening? Do you, let me ask you a question. Do you think that's a coincidence? And we'll talk about this more. But when you choose to follow Jesus and when you choose to, quote unquote, leave the shore of safety of your faith and you get in the boat with Jesus, all of a sudden the waves and the chaos start to come because all of a sudden now there's an enemy waging war against your life. 
There's an author uh, named James G. Williams, who I'm sure none of you have heard of because he wrote a commentary that none of you will probably read except me to prepare this message for you. And he was talking about this story, and he said, this story is a picture of the Christian life. Look what he says. He says, this story is an image or picture of those who travel in intimate fellowship with Jesus. How many of you say, I want to travel with Jesus in intimate fellowship? None of you. Okay, this will be good. And then he says, separated from the other followers in masses who stand on the security of the shore. So those who choose to dive into deeper intimacy, which I would say can only come through risk and obedience, it's going to require a deeper faith. And staying on the shore, let's just be honest, some of you in your lives, uh, your version of following Jesus, and I'm not saying this on you, I'm saying you may just say this of yourself, but like your version of following Jesus is you think you're in the boat, but you're really on the shore. And the shore can represent anything. It could be choosing a life with God that is easy, controllable, understandable. Like, let me ask you this, just as reflection, you don't have to answer back. How many of you have a version of following Jesus that actually requires faith? Or have some of you chosen a type of a relationship with Jesus where everything can be measured, everything can be controllable, and it's kind of controlled in your own hands, if that makes sense. And so here's the first thing that I think we can just see big picture from the story, and you can write it down. Experiencing the glory, power, and intimacy of Jesus is found on the other side of risk and obedience. Some people say that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. But if you want to see the glory of Jesus in your life, if you want to see the power of Jesus show up in your life, if you want to see intimacy with Jesus grow, it's only found on the other side of faith or risk or obedience, which requires you getting onto the boat. Does that make sense? Now, this is a little bit of an aside, but I have many conversations with people, and I'm not trying to be demeaning, but just hear what I'm saying, where they say, like, Jesus just isn't exciting. He's boring. I don't have intimacy. I don't see his power in my life. And I, every single per- person is different, and so I can't, like, you can't just put labels generally over everybody's story. But one of the questions that I always wonder is, I wonder if you're just still on the shore and you just haven't gotten in the boat yet. And maybe that's you in the room, and maybe Jesus is inviting you to get into the boat. But let's see, all right, let's, let's go to layer two. That was layer one. Layer two, let's look at um, some of the details in the story. Now, when you read this story, especially Mark's version, um, the different gospel writers actually like give an account of this story. But there's details in this story that are absolutely fascinating. Where you're like, why does Mark say that? Why does he say this? And I think he's trying to communicate something where he's like, see this? Get curious and get curious enough to keep wondering what I'm trying to say through this detail. And so I just want to go through like four things really quick in this story that I think is extremely fascinating and actually has a ton of application to your life. So let's hear, uh, let's, let's see it. The first thing that I see in verse 36 that is so fascinating, I'm going to reread the verse. It says, leaving the crowd behind, they, specifically the disciples, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Now, when I read the story, I was like, isn't it ironic that it was Jesus's idea for them to go across, but the text says that they were the ones that took him. Now, here's why this matters. The disciples that were taking Jesus, what profession were some of them doing before Jesus called them to be disciples? Fishermen. Fishermen. So you have fishermen 
who are the experts on the sea, taking Jesus, who quote-unquote is not an expert on the sea, on a journey with them. And it's in their expertise, and it's in the place that they feel the most competent and capable that Jesus shows up to show them their greatest weakness and more of himself. Here's the point. Sometimes it's in the places that we consider ourselves experts that we actually become the greatest students of Jesus. I want to say that again. Sometimes in your life, it's in the places that you consider yourself an expert or strong or gifted that you actually become the greatest student of Jesus. It's ironic because the disciples think they're taking Jesus along, but Jesus is actually one taking the disciples along for the purpose of showing them who he actually is in the story. Does that make sense? So here's what I want to say to you in your life right now. Don't be surprised that if in the area that you feel the most competent and capable, that Jesus actually ends up showing you your greatest weakness. Here's why. In the areas of your life that you you already feel like you have a need, you will probably seek Jesus in those areas. In the areas of your life that you don't feel like you need Jesus, that you feel capable and competent, let me ask you this, how often do you actually pray and seek Jesus in those areas? If you're like me, a lot less. So I want to say maybe it's in the area that you feel the strongest that Jesus will actually show you your greatest weakness. So the disciples, I think it's fast, they took him along, but in the story it's very clear Jesus is the one taking them along in the story. The, sev- the second thing that I think is very interesting is found in, ther- in verse 38, and it says that Jesus was sleeping. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I hear a pen drop in my room, and I'm like, like getting out of bed, and literally I can't go to bed the rest of the night. Like, this is the story of my like, life. is like my daughter starts crying for like half a second, and now I'm up. It's like, well, I'm, it's time to start the day. Jesus is in the middle of, guys, listen, a hurricane-type storm, and he's out. He's out. Completely comped. Why does the text say that? Now, you might be reading the story and you're trying to like go, oh, okay, the storms of my life, Jesus is there. And then you read Jesus sleeping in the midst of your storm and you interpret that as Jesus being indifferent to you in your storm. Just like the disciples did. They go up to Jesus and they're like, "Uh, hey, Jesus, I don't you know, but we're all gonna die. And I'm gonna die, so if you could actually care and do something about it, and Jesus is sleeping. And I think some of us in this text, if you're getting really cynical when you're reading your Bible, you can go, okay, Jesus, this is indifference. But actually in the scriptures, sleeping indicates, especially in the Old Testament, a place of peace. Sleeping is the equivalent of having peace. And so when it says that Jesus was sleeping in the midst of the storm, it's not just saying like, hey, just so you know, he was sleeping. It's trying to communicate all throughout the Old Testament scriptures is that like somebody who is confident in the presence of God can have peace in their storm, therefore they can sleep. Does that make sense? All right, here's the point. Jesus is not panicking in your storm. Jesus is not panicking in your storm. He is at peace. Now you may go, that's great because I am panicking. And you read that and go, okay, so Jesus is like, oh, you're, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Like, no, I'm cool. You know what I'm saying? And some of you hear that and go, like, that sounds like Jesus is indifferent. Here's the point. When I have my, um, uh, when my daughter falls, this happened literally yesterday. God's like, see, you can use this in your sermon. 
She's like walking, she's starting to learning to walk right now, and she's like unstable, you know, and kind of like that's just kind of a picture of the Christian life. Like we're children trying to grow up, we're unstable, learning to walk with Jesus. And she falls, she's totally fine. And then what she does is she, in her panic and terror, she looks at me. And based on my reaction, we'll determine the peace that she has. If she looks at me and I'm like, and I start to panic, she's like, uh, you know, she does that too. But when I look at her and I smile, not to diminish what she's going through, but like, hey, it's going to be okay, she can go, I can have peace. In the same way in your life, if you are serving a God or a king or a Lord that is panicking, when you're panicking, that is a recipe for a lot more panic. But in your life, I'm telling you, in the chaos of your storm, if you can look up and see Christ in the chaos at peace, reigning over your situation in goodness, that can give you peace. See, I think in this story, Jesus is sleeping in peace because he has confidence in the presence of his Father. Jesus is sleeping in peace because he has confidence in the presence of his Father. And so here's what I would say to you tonight. You can have confidence in the presence of Jesus, and that confidence will give you the power to expel panic from your life and inject peace. Confidence in the presence of Jesus in your situation has the power to expel panic from your situation in your heart and to inject peace. Uh, one of the most classic verses that you hear when we talk about like, anxiety or chaos in your life that like, if you type it on Google, you'll go to is Philippians 4. Paul writes about this. I want, you, I want you to read this verse. Philippians 4, 4 through 6. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Got it. Next. Let your gentleness be evident to all. What does it say? The Lord is near. All right, next verse. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, keep that verse on the screen, Harley, if that's okay. How many of you, when you're anxious, you read this verse and you're like, wow, whoever wrote that verse has no idea what it's like to have anxiety? You know what I'm saying? Like, this sounds like somebody who is trying to give advice on anxiety but has no idea what they're actually talking about. Do not be anxious. Just pray with thanksgiving. And guess what? You're going to have peace that surpasses all human understanding. And then you go, I've actually tried that, and that doesn't work. Is that just me? I think what's fascinating about this verse is we always start the verse with verse 6 when the beginning of the thought is verse, the end of verse 5. It says, the Lord is near, therefore do not be anxious. If you just start with, do not be anxious, you're like, well, I am. But if you go, hey, the Lord is near, and then you go, oh, how did Jesus not have anxiety? Confidence in the presence of God gave him freedom to not panic but have peace. And then it's the same for us. The Lord is near. And sometimes I just want to say, whatever situation you are going through right now, the Lord is near. Amen? Amen. All right. I like this right over here. This is good. All right, verse 3. Um, not verse 3, number 3, verse 38. Uh, the disciples, it says in verse 38, woke him. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? I love that the, uh, the uh, details of this passage include like the disciples going like, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Because in our own version of that, we offer that to God. Like, Jesus, don't you care that I'm going through this? Don't you care? Don't you care? But I actually don't want to focus on that for the moment. I want to focus on the fact that, isn't it interesting that the disciples had to wake Jesus up before he did anything? Like, the disciples actually had to go over to Jesus and wake him 
before he actually operated in their situation. Now here's, uh, I think there's actually significance in that. I don't think it's just part of the story. Um, and I think it's the same in our lives true. Often we don't feel like Jesus is doing anything. We feel like he's not showing up. We feel like he's indifferent. And I think one of the points that we get in Jesus having, or in Jesus having to be woken up is this. In your storm, Jesus may be ready to act in power. Listen, in your situation right now, Jesus may be ready to act in power. And what I don't mean by that is he's going to fix your situation. I don't, I, when I say act in power, I don't think he's going to make it all go away. That's not what I'm saying. But in some way, Jesus is going to manifest his presence, move in power in your situation. Here's the key. He might just be waiting for you to wake him in prayer. I, in this story, when I put myself in this story, I went, I wonder how long it took the disciples to work their own efforts, to talk to each other. I think like Peter's like, John, do you know? Yeah, they're all like yelling at each other and they're finally like, somebody should wake up Jesus after like, like how long did it actually have to go? Was it an hour of them fighting the waves to go like, we better wake up Jesus? And I think there's something to that. In my own life, if I'm gonna be honest in my heart of hearts, and I'm not gonna put this on you, I'm just gonna say in my life, when I am the most frustrated with Jesus for not acting in power, not doing anything, or being indifferent, or just not showing up, I can typically trace it back to me trying to calm the seas or navigate the storms, and then like I strategize, I listen to podcasts, I'm like, okay, what's that one thing, advice of wisdom that I haven't heard? Like I just like ask, I'm like, okay, hey, Jade, what do you think about this? Or Jonathan, what do you think about this? And I'm like, this is what we do. We like talk to friends, we talk to parents, we talk, 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 and we listen, listen, listen. And then Jesus is like, hey, remember, you know, what about me? And I found in my life, and I can just say this in my life, that when I actually go to Jesus first and I wake him up, I'm like, with, like the Psalms talk about like seeking God to a point where you're like, sh- like hey, are you going to show up? Like you're, they're complaining, you're accusing, you're like, in a sense, shaking Jesus, like don't you care if we drown? Like God wants you to seek him and seek him with all your heart. But I'm telling you guys, I, I feel like so often when I'm like having a one-on-one or trying to give spiritual direction to people, and this is not meant to be demeaning, this is supposed to be inviting, where I'm like, all right, somebody sits down, they're like, I'm going through a mess right now. And I'm like, yes, let's talk about it. And they explain the story, they explain everything, and I'm like, okay, have you sought God in it? It's like, yeah, I mean, I prayed. Tell me about that. Well, it's like I went in, you know, like on my way to the car out of the grocery store. You know, I'm like walking with my groceries and I'm like praying to God on the way. And then like, yeah, I prayed to him in that moment. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like when did you like sit in his presence and like labor there and pour out your heart and pull on his garment and say, Jesus, do something? They're like, well, I haven't done that. And I'd be like, he might just be waiting to be woken up in prayer. This all came to a head for me a couple weeks ago. Um, <clears throat> Believe it or not, I have anxiety too, and storms hit my life. And it was a Sunday night, and I, Jesus is growing me in this. And I remember I was sitting, um, I came home from church. I can't remember what, I do know what was going on. There was a lot going on. But my storm was, abs- or my storm was chaotic on the outside, and my heart was stormy on the inside. And I went to my wife, and I was like, babe, I need tonight. I'm getting better at telling my wife what I need. And so I was like, babe, I need some time with the Lord tonight. And I went up there 
to this room, and I was like, what do you want me to do? I was like, do I go this place? Do I go that place? Do I go on a prayer walk? And I'm like, Lord, I'm going to like, we're going to figure this out. And so I go up to the Lord, I go, up, I go up to the room, I sit down in my chair, and I light a candle to like signify to like my actual senses, like the presence of Jesus is here with me, and I sit there for about 20 minutes going, I'm so ADD. I'm like looking around. I'm like, I'm like literally like, I'm like fumble. I can't even put a sentence together. I'm like, I preach in front of people and I can't even put a sentence in front of, like I can't put it together in front of you right now. And I sit there and I wrestle and I wrestle and I'm telling you guys about an hour in, it broke. And the presence of Jesus rested upon me and he just, he just rested upon me. He gave me his peace and I just hear him saying like, Corey, I'm gonna be wisdom to you in this situation. I'm gonna be strength to you in this situation. I'm gonna be your shield in this situation. And I was like, Lord, I receive that in your name. But I'm telling you guys, I had to wrestle to get there. And my only question that I wanna put on you tonight to consider is, have you actually developed a pattern of waking Jesus and wrestling him to get an answer from him or to get something from him that you're like, Christ, if I can't get it from that, if I can't get it from that substance, if I can't, I need it from you and you have to show up. And I just wanna, I wanna put that before you tonight, okay? So that's the third thing I see. The fourth thing that I see um, in, in, in verse 39 through 40 is uh, Jesus challenging the lack of faith of his disciples. And if there's like a shame verse in the, this story, this is it. Like this, this verse can often breed a lot of shame um, but I think it's actually very kind and loving of Jesus. So I'm just gonna read it, verse 39 through 40 says, so he got up, so you know, the disciples are like, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Like they're, they're fearful, they're angry, uh, they don't think Christ cares about them. Uh, it feels very like, familiar to how we feel. And then in verse 39 it says, he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And then he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I think the invitation of this story is to say, listen, go ahead, go on. Wake Jesus up, pray to him. In your fear and in your anger, pour out your heart to him. Don't hold any back. Like, hold nothing back. Just don't be surprised once he calms the storm outside of you or he calms the storm inside of you if he just gives you a gentle and loving rebuke saying, do you still have no faith? Where is your faith? I think one of the things that I was reflecting on in this story, and I think this is the point I want to make, is that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we need our faith gently rebuked before it can be genuinely rooted. Sometimes we need our faith gently rebuked before it can be genuinely rooted. And this is what I mean. If you hear the rebuke going like, hey, where's your faith? Aren't you a mature Christian? Like that's, I don't think that's what's actually going on here. For me, this is how I hear it. I'm like frantic, I'm panicked, I'm doubting God's promises. I think I know how my life should go and I'm mad at God for not actually working it out that way. And then we throw our little tantrums. And I'm saying this because I do it too. And we get so mad. And God's like, I have all the space to process that. And then in the middle of all that, I hear God say to me, hey, Corey. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, Corey. Yeah. No. Corey. Like, yes. Where's your faith? I'm like, 
I hear you, Lord. I think that's what Jesus was saying to his disciples, where he's going, sometimes, we, sometimes in order for our faith to grow, we actually need somebody to call out the lack of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Because it actually brings attention. You're like, okay, Jesus, I hear you. You're not saying it because you don't like me. You're saying it because you want it to grow. Here's another thing I want to point about that. Whenever we hear that question, where is your faith? What word do you hear the most in that sentence? Faith. The emphasis is on faith. Where is the size of your faith? I think Jesus' rebuke here is not on the size of faith, it's on the placement of where the faith is. It's not on size, it's on placement. I think the emphasis is on where. He's going, where is it at? Not where's your faith. He's saying, where, where is your faith? Is it on me? Or is it on your expertise to manage the situation the way that it should work out? Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, let's go layer three. One, 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 and then we're going to wrap this thing up. Let's read verse um, 41. So Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then he says, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now what's really interesting in the story is the disciples are terrified when the storm hits. Jesus brings peace to the storm and calms it and their, and their fear and terror is still there. Isn't that interesting? The, the storm passes, and yet the, the terror is actually not gone. It's still there. And I think there's actually, like, if you were to actually, I think, talk to Mark, who wrote this, and be like, what were you actually trying to get at in the story? Were you actually trying to get at, like, Jesus calming our storms? He's like, not at all. He's like, I do think there's something to say in that. He's like, I'm actually trying to communicate something way deeper about the nature of who Jesus is so that we worship, listen, obey, and trust. This is what's going on. What's very interesting is that in the Old Testament, so like if you're one of the disciples who Jesus was actually like raising up and discipling, uh, they had their own version of Sunday school. They were raised on the scriptures, the Old Testament story. They, they believed God, the one true God, made promises to them and his people. And they would have had common passages of scripture that they were raised in. So like, and by the way, most of these people had like their Old Testament memorized, you know? It's like, I got four verses, they got the Old Testament. You know, it's like they were, uh, they, they, there was an oral culture that's just how they passed down stories, all this stuff. What's interesting, in Psalm 107, 23 through 31, a passage of scripture that the disciples probably knew, but just like spaced in this moment, this is what, this, this is what the Psalm says, speaking of God's great work of deliverance. Listen, listen to this. He said, okay, so there's someone out on the sea in the ships, so this is the Old Testament. Now keep in, read this in light of the story that's actually happening right now. So someone out in the sea, in the ships, they were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. All right, so we got stormy language. Uh, they mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. So it's like, it's a massive storm. In their peril, their courage melted away. So think of the disciples. Their courage is melting away because the tempests and the storms are roaring like crazy. So they reeled and staggered like drunkards trying to figure out what's going on. They were at their wit's end. Is this resonating in the story at all? Verse 38. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble... Think about them crying out to the Lord. And by the way, the Lord there is Yahweh, the one true God. God. And he brought them out of their distress. Here we go. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. 
Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. And so I think when this whole thing is happening, Jesus is looking at his disciples and is like, guys, do you remember Sunday school verses? Do you understand what's happening right now? God, literally God, not just God, God, the one who calms the seas in the Old Testament, is literally doing the same thing in your midst. God is in your boat. Worship, do you see him? And maybe Jesus said, like, listen, God is in your midst right now, in your story. Listen, I know it's hard, but God in all his glory is doing a mighty work of deliverance. I don't know what that looks like, but he's in your midst. Worship, trust, and obey. But I think in this story, the glory of Jesus is shining so bright that the disciples have squinty eyes and can't see his glory. It's shining too bright. The divinity of Jesus Like God is calming, God is acting out what he says he does right in front of them and they don't see it. I think the second thing that's really phenomenal about this story, and I think this is where it's really getting at, is that it seems like Jesus' miracle is against the waves of the sea, but when in in reality it's against the work of Satan. So it seems like Jesus is rebuking winds, but Jesus is actually rebuking Satan. It's trying to picture something even deeper. N.T. Wright says this about this story. He says, The sea came to symbolize for them, that is the disciples in the Jewish worldview, the dark power of evil, threatening to destroy God's good creation, God's people, and God's purpose. And so when Jesus here is rebuking the storm, it's actually a picture of Jesus rebuking evil in the world and rebuking the power of Satan. Because for the Jewish people, the sea is evil, it's chaos, it's Satan, it's everything in the world represented that's trying to destroy God's people, his purposes, and his kingdom in your life. And so what's so fascinating, Jesus rebuking the sea It's meant to be a preview of what the Bible says in Revelation 21.1 where it says that in the new heavens and new earth, the sea will be no more. Now it's funny, I'll have conversations with people like, did you know in heaven there won't be the ocean? And I was like, yes, I know what you're saying. But what that's trying to say is, listen, the evil that is behind the evil in your life that is represented by the sea in this story God is saying Jesus rebukes it. He has authority over it. It's not just that the winds obey him. It's just that the Satan and demonic powers have to obey him. And listen, us as Americans living in the West, that we don't have a worldview this way, I'm telling you, the Bible says the evil behind all evil in your life is satanic power waging war on God's world, God's purposes, God's kingdom in your life. So it's not that you just need the storms to still, you need Satan's power and work to still in your life because you need a greater authority, amen? Amen. And this is why it gets, this is why this really, really matters. The last thing that I'll say is if you follow Jesus, this story, not might be your story, but it will be your story. N.T. Wright says this again. He says, actually, if you sign on with Jesus for the kingdom of God, this story will become your story, whether you realize it, whether you like it or not. Wind and storms will come your way. And here's why. It's not because Jesus feels like making your life hard. It's not like, hey, great, I'm glad you decided to follow me. I'm gonna make your life really tough so that I can grow you to be more like me. I think in toughness, Christ will grow you to be more like him, but I think What's actually happening is when you sign on for Jesus and his kingdom and his mission, you're actually joining in a war. You're not just joining in a war. The sad part is we're actually already in a war. We just decided to switch sides. It's not like, hey, I became a Christian. Now we're warring against darkness. It's like, no. Scripture actually says you were under the deceit, 
and deception and power of Satan, and then Christ saved you, and he actually transferred you to a different kingdom, and now you're actually waging war on what you were. So the waves crashing against you, it's not just life. It's that Satan is trying to destroy everything that God is doing in his world and in you. So look behind the waves and see what's actually happening, and you'll find satanic power. And I'm not trying to be weird. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. I don't think everything that happens in life is like Satan's behind everything, but I'm telling you, I think we'd be shocked, and, and I think we'd be on our knees a lot more if we went, oh my gosh, there is a war going on, and I need to humble myself and seek the power of God in my situation. Amen? All right, and one last thing I want to say. When I talk about joining a war and switching sides, I am not saying that, like, Jesus is in competition with Satan. It's like, ugh, he's really strong. Can you want to come on my, you know, it's like not, that's not what's happening. Here's the thing. Jesus has already won the victory at the cross of the storm that Satan has declared on this world. God has already won a victory. But how many, how many of you know this? I have an illustration. When I played club baseball back in the day, and uh, every now and then, I have a teammate who is really passionate about getting a base hit. And he'd be like, strike one, strike two, strike three, strike out. He got so pissed that he got defeated. This is a real story. He got defeated at the batter's box. And he walks into the dugout, and he takes his metal $340 stealth bat, goes, boom, like starts throwing a fit. He starts throwing his hat. Like, he was defeated. His fit isn't coming from trying to win something. His fit is coming because he already lost. The satanic, satanic work and power is not Satan trying to like win back what he lost. He knows he already lost. He's just trying to take everything to hell with him. And that includes you too. So if he can keep you from being ineffective, doubtful, all the things, he will do that. Does that make sense? So there's an evil behind the evil in your life. And I want to tell you, Jesus rebuking the sea has been fulfilled and Jesus rebuking Satan at the cross and his authority over your life. And Jesus says, I am your king, and I have won the victory, and I have, I have shamed demonic power at the cross. And I've already declared at the end of the day, at the end of all things, I rebuke Satan at the cross, but I will finally rebuke him at the end of all things when I usher in my kingdom. Amen? <clears throat> all right, my mouth is dry. One final word. And when I read the story, this is the thing that I think was the most powerful for me. Look at the very, very last verse. So they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The disciples see the situation, even though they don't see it clearly, they are absolutely dumbfounded at the power of Jesus. They are in terror because they go, this human is, I don't have a category for him. Like, Peter like falls at his feet and goes, I'm a sinful man. He's not raising his chest at Jesus, saying, what are you doing? Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you had a who is this moment with Jesus? I want to I challenge you with one thing. Maybe your problem with peace, I'm not saying this is true, but I, I'm just going to, would you consider it? Maybe your problem with peace isn't the size of your faith, but it's the size of your God that you have put your faith in. See, some of you, you have cultivated an awareness of the presence of Jesus, but if you're going to be honest, there is no awe, terror, or fear at the power of his presence. 
It's like he's with me, but he's just not very powerful. So like I can sing these songs and do this, and I'm not trying to say you can't worship your own way, but like when you look at Jesus like the creator God who spoke you into existence, that Hebrews says is sustaining all things by the word of his power, that has a plan for your life, that he says, listen, Satan can't thwart my plan for your life. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to work it out. I'm going to use even people's sin into my will somehow to, in his mystery and beauty to make something happen. And I'm going to do it all for my glory and because I love you and it's going to be a beautiful story that I'm doing out of your life. It's not going to be easy, but you're, I'm going to be with you in it and I have the power to do anything I want in your story. And I promise I'm going to use my authority and my power for your good. And, and I just want to say, maybe... We need to have moments where we cultivate times in our lives where we go, who is this? Where you're worshiping, you're like, who is this God that I'm worshiping? Who is this man that would die for me? Who is this man that rose from the dead? Who is this man that gave me the Holy Spirit? Who is this man that gave me this family? Who is this man that gave me these clothes and a bed? And who is, like, thankfulness. Like, who is this that is giving me all things? where we could actually take on the disciples' posture that I think is good. Maybe they didn't have a faith problem. They actually, maybe we don't have a faith problem. We actually have a fear problem in the best sense of the word. We have no reverence because we go, hey, God's with me, but he's not really like that big of a deal. And God goes, I want you to remember two things. My presence in the storm, my purpose in the storm, and I'm gonna add a third one, and my power in the storm. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and uh, God, we are so grateful um, that you are with us. Colossians 2, 13 through 14 says this. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And Jesus, we just stop, and we give thanks to you. Although we don't understand it, although it's confusing, we give thanks that the evil behind the evil in our lives Lord, has been rebuked at the cross that the powers of darkness have been disarmed, Lord, by what you have done and by your cross and by your resurrection. And Lord, we thank you that the sin in our hearts has been rebuked uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the conviction and repentance. And God, we're thankful for these things. God, thank you that in the new creation, the sea will be no more. God, evil and darkness and chaos and stress and anxiety and fear will be no more. Lord, cultivate a sense of awe in us to worship you in the middle of the storm. God, in the chaos, let us see Christ. Spirit, give us eyes to see. Soften our hard hearts. Give us uh, our, our doubtful hearts. Give us hope. God, we're praying for a fresh filling of you tonight. I'm actually going to lead us in a time of prayer, personal prayer before we sing. Uh, and I want God to speak to you very personally tonight. And so I want to ask if you're in the room to keep your eyes closed, um, but if you would just put both feet planted on the floor and you would sit up straight. This is something that you can do at home. It's something that I do every day. And uh, keep your eyes closed and put your hands open on your kneecaps on top. And we're going to practice sometimes where we're going to ask God to speak to us and we're going to give him space to speak. So as I pray things in your own way, in your own heart, would you, would you pray uh, to the Lord yourself? Lord Jesus, here I am. Speak now for your servant is listening. Lord, I've heard a lot of words tonight. I've said a lot of words tonight. I may not or may have liked Corey's sermon, 
But Lord, I put that aside for a second and I ask, Lord, what are you saying to me? So Lord, I give you this next little space. What are you saying to me, Lord? Just listen to what the Spirit is saying to you. Images, words he's bringing to your mind. Lord, what are you saying to me? Jesus, when I hear your word taught, often I feel shame and discouragement. So Jesus, how are you trying to encourage me through what your word said tonight? Lord, how are you trying to encourage me? Lord, I receive your encouragement. Thank you for it. Lord, I also know that you gently corrected the disciples, and so I ask, how are you seeking to lovingly challenge me tonight? Where are you speaking a gentle and loving kind word of correction? Thank you, Jesus, that you love me enough to be honest with me. And Lord, I thank you that your honesty seeks to transform me, not to condemn me. And so I receive your correction and thankfulness. And Lord, I pray that you'd bring to mind right now, how do you want me to obey you when I leave this room? after I leave tonight. Lord, how are you calling me to obedience? Are you asking me to believe something? Are you asking me to turn from something that I'm using to cope with the chaos of the storm? Lord, is there somebody else going through a storm that you want me to be the presence of Jesus to? Lord, we know that we carry your presence with us and who are you bringing to mind that you want us to be the presence of Jesus to? Bring names and faces to our mind, Lord. And lastly, for the next 30 seconds, I just want you, based on what the Lord has encouraged you with, challenged you with, asked you to act in obedience, I want you to spend time asking Jesus for help. Lord, help me have faith. Lord, help me trust you. Lord, help me obey you. Spend some time asking. Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, it is yours. Lord, help me. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for meeting with us here. Lord, as we stand and worship you, God, would we not um, try to evaluate whether we like the song or not? God, I pray that the words we sing would hit differently tonight, even if it's familiar songs. God, I pray that you speak to us, and I pray that we would declare what is true in the midst of our storms and declare what is true about you so that we would worship you. God, would we see you tonight? Would you meet us in our worship? 
pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.